to Jesus, son of Joseph, from the Jordan Management Consultants. Subject, steam ta team staff evaluations. And the memo goes like this. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. And we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. <coughs> Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Well, I thought that was rather clever. They recommended Judas Iscariot to be Jesus' right-hand man. And yet, he was the man who betrayed Jesus. There is quite a contrast between Mary, the woman who anointed Jesus with uh, expensive perfume in Bethany that Tony preached on this morning, and Judas Iscariot. Mary, of course, was a woman with uh, extravagant devotion. And I don't know how you'd describe Judas. He was just the opposite. He was someone with the absence of devotion. Now, if you are looking ahead at the readings this week, the, the uh, anointing of Bethany is the very first reading of the first day, uh, tomorrow. And if you look at the last reading of the last day, it's Judas Iscariot. But in the Gospel of Matthew, those two things are not separated. They come one right after the other. And so right after the anointing of Bethany comes the betrayal by Judas Iscariot. So let's look in our scripture. We're going to look at Matthew. Tony preached on John, but we're going to look at Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 26. And if you have a Bible, if you've got your Bible open, if you look at the title of that section uh, that starts at verse 6, it's Jesus anointed at Bethany, which is what Tony preached on this morning. But we're going to start at verse 14. And we're going to read through uh, verse 25. So let's start at Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, and then we'll read through verse 25. One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, 
What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go to the, into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, one of the, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. So let's turn the page to chapter 27. And we're going to read the first ten verses of Matthew 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. He went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Well, as we look at the man who betrayed Jesus this evening, let's look at Judas Iscariot in terms of four scenes. And the first scene might be called the betrayal. Now, Judas, of course, was one of the 12 disciples. Now, you think about what that meant. That meant that Judas was there when Jesus performed his miracles. He, he witnessed the miracles. And Jesus was there, or Judas was there when Jesus taught the people. Judas was there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he was there when Jesus prayed. Wouldn't that be something to hear Jesus pray? Judas was there when Jesus prayed. And I think we can assume that, Jesus, that Judas was one of the twelve who were sent out by Jesus and given authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons, according to Matthew 10, verse 7. So you wonder, how and why could Judas have betrayed 
Jesus. Well, Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, claims that he watched 15 movies about Judas, uh, portrayals of Judas. According to some, he was money-hungry. Others portrayed him as disillusioned. He wondered why Jesus didn't raise up an army to overthrow the Romans. Still others thought he was disappointed that after the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, not much happened. Jesus just went in and cleansed the temple. Others portrayed Judas as a revolutionary who became impatient with Jesus' nonviolent ways. In one way or another, Philip Yancey said, almost all the Hollywood movies portray Judas as a complex, heroic rebel. There is absolutely nothing in the scriptures to portray Judas as a heroic rebel. So why did he betray Jesus? Well, the Bible says he did it for three reasons. The Bible says he, first of all, did it out of greed. We read in our scripture, he approached the chief priest in verse 15 asking, what are you willing to give me if I hand them over to you? In other words, how much will you give me if I hand them over to you? It was like a business decision. You know, if you're a baseball fan, if you're a Detroit Tiger fan, you know that Max Scherzer left the Detroit Tigers because he got a lot more money from another team. And I think I read somewhere in the paper or on TV, heard on TV, he said it was a business decision. And so for Judas, it was a business decision. It was, he was motivated by greed. There's a program on TV entitled Greed. I have watched that program a few times. There was a doctor from Grand Rapids who was uh, featured on that uh, program uh, once. And a lot of the people on that program end up in prison, and the doctor from Grand Rapids ended up in prison as well. But this fits the pattern for Judas. In John 12, which Tony preached on this morning, uh, he objected when Mary poured that expensive perfume on Jesus and said that it could, the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But it also adds in verse 6, he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So the chief priest agreed to give him 30 silver coins. And uh, that doesn't sound like much, you know. What, what's, what's 30 bucks nowadays? I mean, maybe when some of you were young, $30 might have been quite a bit, but $30 isn't much. 30, 30 pieces of silver doesn't sound like much. It sounds like just a, a pittance. But these were probably shekels. And uh, 30 shekels was the price of a slave, according to is Exodus 21, verse 32, it says, If a bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull must be stoned. Well, now, a shekel is worth four denarii. So 30 times four is 120 denarii. A denarii is about an average, a denarius is about an average day's uh, working man's wage, average working man's daily wage. And so that would be like, 30 pieces of silver would be like 120 days of an average man's wage. Well, if they worked seven days a week, that would be a third of a year. 
If you calculated by five days a week, it would be almost a half a year. So when you start to think about 30 pieces of silver as a third of your year's wages or salary or income or even maybe a half of a year, it is a significant amount of money that they were giving Judas if he would betray Jesus. Now, Judas was a very good example of the truth of 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I have read that monkey trappers in Africa, North Africa, have a very clever way of capturing monkeys. And what they do is they hollow out a gourd. And then they cut a hole in the gourd that's just big enough for the monkey to get his hand in. And then they fill the gourd with nuts. And the monkey puts his hand through that hole into the gourd and he grabs, grasps the nuts. He puts the nuts in his hand and when he holds the nuts in his fist, he can't get his hand back out. And the monkey doesn't have enough sense to let go of the nuts. And so that's the way the monkey trappers in uh, North Africa are able to uh, capture monkeys. Well, I was thinking about greed. And if the people who knew you the best, the very, very best, were to describe you, would they describe you as prone to greed like Judas? Or would they describe you as extravagantly generous like Mary who anointed Jesus with that expensive perfume? You know, what would be on your tombstone? Here, here lies someone who was motivated by greed or here lies someone who was extravagantly generous? Well, the Bible says that Judas was motivated by greed. But there's a second uh, thing. It may have also been revenge. Because in that story of uh, the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, uh, Matthew says the disciples all objected, but uh, John says it was Judas who objected. The money could have been, uh, the, the uh, perfume could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And Jesus rebuked him and, and praised and commended Mary, she did a wonderful thing. And so Judas was, was hurt by that. He was rebuked in the presence of all the disciples. And the very first word in Matthew 26, uh, verse 14, the very first word is the word then. You know, after the anointing in Bethany, after Jesus rebuked Judas because he objected to uh, the extravagant generosity of that uh, perfume, uh, the first word is then. Then Judas went and uh, met with the chief priest and asked, uh, what are you wanting to give me if I hand him over to you? It was almost like, uh, like revenge. You know, I'll get even with you. You rebuked me in the presence of my friends, the disciples, and I'm going to get even with you. And so he may have also been motivated by revenge. Have you ever done something out of revenge? You know, it isn't always what you do. Sometimes it's what you don't do. You know, you can be, you can be passively seeking revenge. 
you know, like a, like, um, you know, with silence. You, you don't respond. Um, you, you don't do something. I'll get even with you. I won't do anything. I won't, I won't say anything. And so maybe uh, some of us have had that where we were motivated by uh, revenge. Revenge is a powerful, powerful thing. And then the third thing, on the, on the deepest level, it was Satan. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, then Satan entered Judas. John 13, verse 2 says, the devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. So he was no heroic rebel. The Bible says nothing about Judas being a heroic rebel. It says he was motivated by greed. And he may have been motivated by revenge. And then the bottom line is that he was under the power and influence of the devil. Let's move on to the second scene. The second scene might be called the exposure. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room, and there he instituted uh, the Lord's Supper. And there in the upper room, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas. And so he treated them with kindness, including Judas, even though he knew that Judas was going to betray him or that he already had uh, made the bargain with the chief priest. Jesus knew that. And yet Jesus washed his feet and treated him with kindness. But then at the Passover meal, Jesus made a startling announcement. He said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And what's amazing is that all the disciples began to say, surely not I, Lord. Even Peter. I would imagine that Peter would say, oh, no, 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 no. I will never betray you. But nobody, nobody objected. They all said, surely not I, Lord. Even Judas said that. And when he says that, and he, he knows he's the one, it kind of makes him out to be a liar when he asked that question after he made the deal with the chief priest. So Judas... Judas went out and betrayed Jesus right after sharing a meal with him. It reminded me of David, who said in Psalm 41, verse 9, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And David was talking about Ahithophel, who had been one of his closest friends, his trusted advisor. But when Absalom rebelled against David, Ahithophel went with Absalom and gave uh, counsel to Absalom. Well, I thought to myself, um, is there a way in which believers can commit a Judas sin? Not, a, not betray Jesus, of course, but what if, if a believer, maybe a leader in, in the, the church, someone who's faithful in worship, were to commit a grievous sin? We all sin. Romans 3 verse 3 says, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're not talking about someone being perfect. But if someone commits a, a very public, grievous sin, isn't that a great letdown to Christ and the church? Isn't there in some shadow of a way that that becomes like a betrayal? Well, let's move on to the third scene. The third scene might be called the kiss. And it takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went with his disciples to pray after he uh, celebrated the Passover and instituted 
the Lord's Supper. And there, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas came and betrayed him with a kiss. Now, you may be uh, wondering uh, why it was necessary for Judas to identify Jesus. But you've got to remember that the, uh, the soldiers he led, that, uh, that cohort of soldiers that he led to, to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they didn't have photographs. They didn't have newspapers or televisions. And they may not exactly have known what Jesus looked like. They didn't have bright electric lights lighting up the Garden of Gethsemane. They came with torches. And uh, in the dim light of the torches, they, they might have arrested the wrong man. Not only that, they might not even have known where Jesus was. But Judas knew. Judas knew he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So they needed Judas to lead them to where Jesus was and to give an identification, to ID Jesus. That's the man that you want to arrest. Now, he could have pointed to Jesus and said, well, there's the one. But he chose to identify Jesus with a kiss. It's kind of an act of loyalty done in a disloyal way. What, what a hypocrisy to betray Jesus with a kiss. And then he said, greetings, Rabbi. So he confesses him with his mouth, and he's denying him with his life. And Jesus accepts the greeting. He accepts the kiss. He doesn't make any effort to resist or any effort to escape. He hands himself over to the soldiers. And in doing so, Jesus was submitting to the Father's will. In verse 24, it said, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. You know, I think of all those Old Testament prophecies that prophesied the Messiah would suffer and die, going all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 15. And then in his Pentecost sermon, Peter said in Acts 2, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Jesus submits to the Father's will and hands himself over into the, the hands of the soldiers. Well, let's move on to scene four. Scene four might be called the suicide. Because after he betrayed Jesus, Judas was filled with remorse. In fact, the scripture says he was seized with remorse. Matthew 27, verse 3. Have you ever done something or said something that you wish you could take back? Everybody has. We all have done that. We, we, we say something and, oh, we wish we could delete that. Or maybe we did something and we're filled with a sense of regret. We, may, we, we shouldn't have done that. We wish we hadn't done that. Well, Judas was uh, filled with regret and remorse. And he said, I have sinned. I have betrayed an innocent man. Innocent blood. Now there are three things about that statement that is very commendable on Judas's part. There are three things that are very good about what he said. First of all, he said, I have sinned. He didn't say, I made a mistake. You know, sometimes 
people do bad things or wrong things and they say, oh, I just made a mistake. Or if they're a politician and they said something, they said, I misspoke. Um, but Judas didn't do that. He didn't say, I just made a mistake. He said, I have sinned. And he acknowledged the sinfulness of what he had done. Second, he said, he did it. He said, I have sinned. He didn't try to blame the, the chief priest. He didn't try to blame Jesus. He didn't try to blame circumstances. He didn't try to blame his upbringing. He didn't, didn't, he didn't do any of that. He didn't try to shift the blame anywhere else. He said, I did it. He accepted the responsibility. <coughs> Sometimes we might get caught in some infraction and we like to blame someone. But Judas didn't. I have sinned. The third thing he did, he honored Jesus. He said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He didn't try to blame Jesus. He didn't try to say Jesus deserved what he got. He recognized that Jesus was totally innocent. So I ask you, was this a sincere, genuine repentance? And was Judas saved? Well, I believe that Judas could have been saved, but I believe he was not. The one thing that's really missing in all of that is he didn't go to the Lord to confess his sins and to repent. He was just filled with regret and remorse. Well, it's interesting to look at the reaction of the Sanhedrin. Now, they, they were the religious leaders of the people. They were to uphold the law. Amazingly, these religious leaders had absolutely no desire to see that justice was done. Nor did they have any compassion for Judas. So they said, what is that to us? What is that to us? You're the religious leaders of, of God's people. What is that to us? It should be everything to them. They should have called for a new trial. There's new evidence. Judas said he betrayed an innocent man. They should have, if anything, can charged Judas with lying. And, but no, there was none of that. They didn't do any of that. Instead, they said... That's your responsibility. This is your responsibility. You know, that kind of um, uh, hit me a little bit because there have been those moments in my ministry when I have been counseling people and they, maybe they talk about their children growing up and doing some things that are not good and sometimes I might say to them, well, you know, your child is now responsible for themselves and you're no longer responsible for your children and, you know, I try sometimes to tell people to say, that's your problem. You know, that's your responsibility. Maybe you've had that where uh, you need to say to someone, you're responsible, that's your problem. But in the case of the Sanhedrin, uh, they, couldn't get, they couldn't give the responsibility to Judas. They were responsible. They were the ones who arranged for the arrest of Jesus and ultimately uh, for, his, uh, for his crucifixion. Well, Judas then tried to give back the 30 pieces of silver. He threw the money into the temple. And the priest who picked up the money was suddenly concerned about the law. They weren't concerned about the law when they arrested Jesus and put an innocent man to death on the cross. But now they were concerned about the law, and they said, we can't have this money in the temple. And so it can't go into the temple treasury. So they used the money to buy a potter's field. 
which was a burial place for foreigners. Now, interestingly, John Calvin said that's a sign to the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, because they were included in the price of Jesus' blood. And then Judas went away and hanged himself. Well, I don't believe all suicides are automatically lost. But I believe that Judas was lost. Because Jesus said in verse 24, Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. You know, it's kind of a harsh thing to say. But for those who are lost, in the words of Jesus himself, it would be better if they had not even been born. So Judas hanged himself. In Acts 1, verse 18, it says, With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. You know, when it comes to the Gospels, this is the Gospel in the book of Acts, but when it comes to the Gospels, like Matthew and John, uh, they don't write things word for word exactly the same, like with the anointing of Jesus at uh, Bethany. Uh, they're not, the Gospels are not carbon copies of each other, and they're writing for different audiences, they're writing from different perspectives and the like. But there are some differences between the Gospel of Matthew and Acts. Because in Matthew it says that the chief priest went out and bought the, field, the uh, potter's field. But in Acts it says Judas did. Well, it's not hard to put that together. They, they used Judas's money, his 30 pieces of silver, to buy the potter's field. And in Matthew, it says he hung himself, and in Acts chapter 1, it says his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Well, he took his own life one way or another. Maybe when they were cutting him down, he fell and his body uh, burst open and his intestines spilled out. The question is, why didn't Judas repent to God. You know, he was so close. He was filled with regret. He was filled with remorse. But I don't believe it was true repentance. Why don't people today repent? You know, we need to repent and believe. Why don't people repent? Is it pride? Is it maybe they don't, the ignorance, they don't know? that what they are doing is sin against God and that God is uh, upset with our sin? Is it because they think everybody's going to be saved anyway? Why is it that people don't repent? Well, no one is beyond the power of God's grace, not even Judas. And no one today. There is someone in Ivanrest that has been uh, corresponding with the uh, executive director of the denomination about praying for the repentance of ISIS. And that's the way I want to finish tonight. I want to finish by praying for repentance of people, uh, hardened criminals and terrorists, and maybe even somebody that we know. So let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we want to acknowledge and confess that your grace is more powerful than any sin, and that you are able to forgive the thief on the cross who cried out to you in penitence and repentance and faith. So, Lord, we pray for 
people who are incarcerated because they have committed uh, serious crimes, perhaps even the, sin of, the crime of murder. But Lord, we pray that perhaps through Crossroad Bible Institute or some other organization, perhaps through the ministry and the work of chaplains in our prison institutions, that men and women who have done terrible things will come to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for ISIS. They have done horribly cruel things, beheading people and burning people alive and killing women and children and especially uh, killing uh, Christians. Yet, Lord, we know that even they are not beyond the power of your grace. And we pray that they will have a change of heart, that they will see the error of their way, that they will see their sinfulness and repent and put their faith in Christ. We pray for uh, all Muslims. We pray for all people, that they will uh, hear the good news of the gospel, whether it's by radio or television or printed page or internet or social media, and that by the power of your spirit, they will have a change of heart and they will repent and believe. And Lord, perhaps there are some within our own family, perhaps among our friends that we know, uh, who we have serious concerns about uh, their uh, eternal destiny. And Lord, maybe by our love, we might be able to demonstrate your love and your grace. But Lord, we pray that they too will respond to the good news of the gospel and repent and believe. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you uh, forgive when we call upon you in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to sing our last song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus.